0: Good morning everyone and uh, it's great to have you online with us. I want to thank Scott and the kids and Michael and his kids as well just for leading us in this service so far and um, I hope you've enjoyed it. We've been trying each week just to have some different faces to keep it fresh and engaging so hopefully you're enjoying that part of our services and um, I'm excited now to be able to share um, God's word with you all and be able to open up the scriptures and see um, what well God has to say particularly in this new series um, we've been we're starting this new series in Philippians and I want to encourage you if you haven't yet to read through it to dive into it with your life group in your homes with your families in your devotional times just to really um, yeah read it dive into it uh, look at different resources on it and as we go through it in these services we really pray that you would encourage you and, and build you up in your faith and Um, yeah, we know it's not easy doing this online thing and, you know, some people are struggling a bit, but we really pray that over these next few weeks, uh, that we would get a greater sense of this subtitle that we have good news and great joy, that we have a greater sense of what the good news is all about and that we would also experience the great joy of knowing Christ. And, um, if your ears are sort of, uh, attuned to some of the, um, Bible, you will hopefully pick up the reference there. Good news of great joy is, of course, when the angels appear to the shepherds at Christmas time. And they say, we bring good news of great joy for all people. And, um, you know, it's relatively easy to believe that around Christmas. You know, there's a baby boy in a manger. It's this wonderful narrative, a great story. And, you know, if you're here like me in Australia, it's just a great time of the year. It's summer, it's good weather, there's celebrations, family gatherings, workplace parties, it's the end of school, end of uni, you've probably got travel plans, you're going to the beach, it is just a great time and you go, good news of great joy, yep, that sounds pretty good to me. But what about now? Towards the end of May, particularly in Melbourne, we're approaching winter, the skies are almost, grey every day. We're in the middle of this global pandemic and it's seemingly unending in restrictions and lockdowns and you know, maybe you're experiencing a loss of job or you're nervous about that. Maybe you fear getting sick. Maybe you're just caught up in the uncertainty of the future. And I guess the question is, is it still good news of great joy even in those moments? You know, Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, and in this letter, it calls us to rejoice. The word rejoice appears more times in this book than any other New Testament book, and it's only four chapters long. But what I love about Paul calling the church to rejoice is that he is not writing this from a mountaintop, as we saw earlier. He's writing this from a prison cell. He's suffering physically again, and yet he still believes that this is good news of great joy. So that's what we're going to be exploring over the next few weeks and particularly here in chapter 1 we're going to look at the first half and we see two reasons why I believe Paul has great joy. One, it's because he has confidence in the gospel and two, it's because he has a partnership in the gospel. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. So firstly, confidence in the gospel. Have a look at a couple of these verses that that Sarah read out for us. Look at verse 6. Paul says this I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is confident that Jesus started the work in Philippi and that he will finish it and complete it. Look at verse 12. Paul says, What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. My imprisonment is for Christ. Paul is confident that his situation is not out of control. He's confident that God can use any circumstance for his good purpose. He's confident that prison is not going to stop the gospel going forward. And Right at the end in verse 18, "...only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice." Paul is confident that, that if Christ is proclaimed, then we can rejoice because it is good news. In fact, it's the best news. We are saved from our sin. We are given life in Jesus. And if that's being proclaimed, if that's going out, if that's being believed, then Paul says we can rejoice. He's confident of that. That is such good news that we can rejoice in it being proclaimed. You know, we get a glimpse here of Paul's confidence in the gospel. He knows that this message of Jesus Christ is good news, of great joy, for all people, for all time. And once again, this is from the guy in prison. This is from the guy who has suffered immensely time and time again. And he still believes. He still rejoices. You need to ask yourself this morning, do you share that same confidence? Do you share that same joy? Do you really believe that the message of Jesus is good news of great joy. You know, and one of the reasons why I believe that Paul is so confident in the gospel, even though he's in prison, is because he's seen the good news at work in prison before. As we heard from the story earlier with Scott and the kids, Paul had been in prison numerous times. And in fact, we get a story from Philippi. Acts 16 is a story from Philippi. That's where Paul was when he was in prison with Silas. And it's this incredible miracle. And we heard the story, and of course that would grow your confidence. Yet for me, the amazing part of this story is what comes out of that, is how the gospel works through that story. You see, usually when Paul arrives at a town, He has a a process, He he has a plan. He goes to the synagogue, he preaches to the Jews, the people who already had an understanding of God. And yet, when he arrives in Philippi, it's totally different. He ends up outside the city with this group of women, people who are probably looked down upon in that society. And yet Paul says, well, here we are, let's preach the gospel. And we find that Lydia, one of the women, believes, and she becomes a key figure in the church moving forward. And then through some bizarre circumstances, Paul and Silas find themselves in prison. So what do they do? Well, they start to sing and they proclaim the gospel to the jailer and his family. And they believe and they're baptized. And you know, even in prison, the gospel advances. You know, and, and the amazing part of this story is that this is the birth of the Philippian church. It's one woman named Lydia and a jailer and his family. And as you look through the Bible, you get hardly any other details about this church. Philippi, Philippians, it it hardly appears other than this one letter. We know that Paul visits there at least one other time, but we don't get a whole lot of information. Yet when you read through this letter, you discover that this is a great church. They were generous. There's hardly any moral issues that Paul addresses other than trying to reconcile a couple people. And he's super grateful for them. It just it explodes off the pages, and we'll look at it later, how, how much he appreciated this church, and that they were really great in this leading city of Macedonia, a proud Roman colony, and yet here was a church that started with one woman believing and with a prison miracle that led to a family turning to Christ. And so I just imagine for us, if we had some confidence in the gospel, to be able to share it, even if only one or two people believe, what can be birthed from that? That God can do something special in that. So it's an encouragement for us to keep sowing the seeds, to keep sharing the good news. You know, And for Paul and Silas and Timothy, who had just joined them, they had confidence in this gospel. They had confidence in this good news. And they had more confidence in the message than they did in their own circumstances or their own plans or their own methods. You see, when you look through Acts 16 and you look a bit closer, like they weren't planning to go to Philippi. They weren't planning to go to Macedonia. They had wanted to go to other places, but they're redirected. And even when they get to Philippi, they can't do their usual thing of going to the synagogue and preaching to the Jews. Like, This isn't their usual mode of operation. But they knew that God had called them there. They knew that they were called to preach the gospel. And so that's what they did, knowing that the message has power, not the method. People weren't going to be saved through their strategies or their programs or their eloquent words, but they had to just focus on getting the message out. As Paul writes in in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of this message because the message is what has power to save. Not the method, not the plan, not the strategy. While they are important, our confidence is in the gospel. Our confidence is in the message. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I'm totally confident in this good news because it has the power to save. So do you share that same confidence? Like Paul, do you rejoice when the gospel is proclaimed? Or do you cringe back? Do you go, oh my gosh, this is a bit embarrassing. They're talking about Jesus again. What is your response? Are you confident that Jesus is good news of great joy? And are you confident that that message can save, regardless of the method, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of whether you're in prison or whether you're out in freedom? Are you confident that the message of God, the good news of Jesus, will save and change and impact this world? And so I just imagine Paul in his prison cell, once again locked away. And Timothy, most likely what happened is Timothy came to visit him. And he says, we need to encourage the church in Philippi. And I wonder, before they start writing this letter, if they just spent some time reminiscing. Thinking back, remembering, remember that time when we first met? You know, Paul and Timothy, we just met and we tried to go to these other places and yet the Holy Spirit redirected us and we had this vision and we went to Philippi. Remember Lydia? Lydia believed. Remember that? Look Look how great the things that she's done. Remember that jail time, that miracle that God did? And remember how the jailer believed? And look at that church now. And I wonder if they just remembered how it started. And so when Paul writes, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. It's because he remembers how it all started. He remembers that God was the one that birthed this thing. And if God had started it, God is going to finish it. He is confident in God's plan to build his church the gates of hell will not stand against it no prison walls are going to hold back the gospel these chains that he's in are not going to hold him back from preaching and proclaiming the good news of jesus and so they write this letter to the philippian church and it just exudes confidence it exudes confidence in the gospel because they've seen the power at work and they know that the message of jesus is good news of great joy So what about you? You know, maybe you haven't been in a prison cell where the earthquake came and it broke all the chains and locks. I encourage you to do three things. I want to encourage you to look back. Look back uh, and I'm guessing that you can see the hand of God over your life. You can see the way that he's orchestrated different things and brought you to where you are today. You might not be where you wanted to be, but I guarantee you're not where you were. Look back and see. I want to encourage you to look around. Look around at the people in your life, the Christians, the people that you know, know Jesus. People in our church, people in your life group, look around and listen to their stories. Think about how they have been changed and transformed by the gospel. And I guarantee that you'll hear the stories, the testimonies of the gospel that God has saved I want to encourage you to look deeper into the truth. And I believe as you dig deeper, you will discover more and more the beauty of the gospel, the goodness of the truth. You know, in this last week, you know, it was pretty sad, Ravi Zacharias passing away. And I remember like four or five years ago, listening to some of his sermons in a time where I felt like my faith was a bit flaky, where I was struggling to like really find that, you know, just this joy in the gospel and I was just really you know a bit unsure about a few things And I remember just listening to these videos and these sermons and his voice and other voices that I was surrounded by at that time they just helped me grow confident that this message was true that it holds up but not only that but it leads to change it leads to joy and you know he had this incredible way, not just of sharing the truth, but displaying the truth, his graciousness, his gentleness. And it gave me confidence that this gospel, the deeper you dig, the more you find the beauty of it, the more that you understand that this is good news of great joy. And friends, may we be confident of that this morning. May we grow in our knowledge of that today. So Paul has joy because he has confidence in the gospel, in the good news. But he also has joy because of the second point, the partnership in the gospel. Have a look at verses 3 and 4, where Paul writes how much he thanks God for this church. How in every prayer of his, you know, he prays with joy. And in verse 5, we get the reason because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul feels this way. Paul has this joy in his prayers. He thanks God because of the partnership he has with this church. So what did this partnership look like? What was this Philippian church? How were they supporting and partnering with Paul? Have a look at chapter 4, verse 14. At the end of the letter, Paul describes a bit more of this partnership. He says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent—a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. See, this was a church that had supported Paul financially, but not only that; they didn't just give; they also received him. They looked after him on his travels and they stood by him through his struggles. You see, as Paul's life went on, he began to get more of a mixed reputation. Because of his struggles, because of his opposition, because of his imprisonments, people began to distance themselves from Paul. He says, like, no other church entered into partnership with me. Because it's not the best public image to be in partnership with a guy in prison. So people were worried about their reputations, they were worried about their image, so they distanced themselves from Paul. And yet this Philippian church continued to receive him, continued to stand by him, to continued to be in partnership with him because they knew that the gospel was being proclaimed. And they also gave financially to support him. Paul says, like, I didn't seek the gift, he didn't need the money, he had ways of being self-sufficient. But they gave generously to generously to support him so that he could focus on the gospel work so along with this sort of corporate support we also see at the start of chapter 4 verses 2 and 3 that there were these women who had labored side by side with paul in the gospel together with clement and the rest of his fellow workers whose names are in the book of life so there was this corporate Support, but there was also this sort of individual support. There was men and women who had labored with Paul side by side. They were working together to get the gospel out, to share the good news, to go out and work and encourage the churches and do the work that Paul was doing. We get a couple of their names, but many of them aren't mentioned. But it says that God knows them all. Not only that, but at the start of this book, we read that Paul and Timothy are writing this letter together. And if you remember back to last year, we talked about uh, the, the letter of 2 Timothy and we looked at Paul and Timothy's relationship and the way that they worked together for the gospel. And so all of this is to say is that Paul, the amazing man, the great gifted teacher, the wonderful evangelist, the guy who knows the Bible back to front, he's this scholar, he's this bold and courageous preacher... Even Paul works in partnership with people. He knew that for the gospel to be really advanced, he had to work in and through with the church. He wasn't a lone ranger. He was part of the fellowship. He was like Aragon in the movies, not Aragon before the movies. Maybe some of you have been watching uh, The Last Dance, this docu series on Netflix about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls of the 1990s. Uh, I have loved it, uh, not just because I love basketball, but also uh, it's just fascinating to get insight into really one of the greatest athletes of all time. And if you want to debate that, we can have a go in the comments later on. But what I love about this series is that there's this shift in the early episodes. You know, Michael Jordan is a really great player out of college, and he's, you know, scoring titles and he's. You know, doing a great job, but they can't get past the Detroit Pistons because they just bully him. They literally physically push him around. He really can't do it. And he finds this. Sh- he begins to shift in his approach. He begins to rely more on his teammates. And while they didn't win immediately, it began this shift of culture in the Bulls organization, and they began to work together much more. And of course, they go on this great run of success, six championships, eight years it's incredible and you know while Michael Jordan is not the shining example of a great teammate what it makes clear is this teamwork makes the dream work it's real simple but it was true for Paul it's true for Michael Jordan I'm pretty sure it's true for you it's true for me it's true for us that if we want this thing to work we need to work together and this work of the gospel is far more important than NBA championships. It's far more important than, you know, anything else we can imagine. This is good news of great joy that needs to be proclaimed, that needs to go out. And so, how are we working together to make that happen? Who are you working alongside for the gospel? Think about the context that you're in whether it's your family or your workplace, your sporting club, your school or uni, your friendship circles, the ministry that you're involved in, this church. Like, ask yourself, how can you partner with other Christians in those contexts to advance the mission of God, to move people in following Christ, to make disciples of all nations? How can you work together to do that in the context that you're in? See, so often we hear these calls to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples of all nations and we hear them individually. But pretty much all the time the New Testament talks about that collectively. That's something you do together. That's something you do as a team. That's something you do in partnership. And we might have different roles, we may have different positions. You know, there was people that supported financially, there's people that labored side by side, there's people that wrote letters together to encourage the churches. But all of it is about this partnership, that we do this together. You know, and what I love about this partnership is that when we do that, we develop this bond. We develop this love that is so, so special. I mean, let's just look at this language in chapter one as we begin to sort of wrap up and land the plane. Look at how Paul describes his affection for the church. He says in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for all you, making my prayer with joy. Verse 7, I hold you in my heart, for you are partakers with me of grace. Because we share grace, I hold you in my heart. Verse 8, God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Like that is a big claim that Paul has a similar effect, affection to, for this church that Christ Jesus has for this church. Like all the affection of Christ Jesus. Like this is big language. It is emotional language. It is full of love. And I'll be honest, like I love you guys. But I don't know if I'm quite ready to make that claim about you. And I don't know if you would put that in your letter to One Hope. Hopefully you do. But Paul feels this incredible love for the church. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel. Or in verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way, he says. It's, this is a justified response. Because I hold you in my heart. Why? Why? For you are all partakers with me of grace. We share this same grace, we share this same cause. Therefore, I feel this love for you. Which has big implications for us, really, if we think about it. You know, many of us want community, we want to have this love, we want to have this sort of great experience with people around us at church. We want to be supported, we want to be encouraged. And yet often what we do is we try and build community. We try and you know, run social events or you know, talk with people week by week. You know, We have a time after our services, a fellowship where we just have a bit of small talk. And we think that that will build community. But community is, this, is a, it's a compound word. It takes this word common and unity and puts them together, community. And so it's a focus. We get community by focusing on the common unity that we have we don't just build community but we get community by focusing on the common unity by focusing on the cause that we have by focusing on the grace that we share you know it's like in lord of the rings in the first movie where this diverse group of people Form. We have the elves, we have the dwarves, we have the men, we have different kingdoms represented, and there's all this arguing, there's all this bickering, there's all this blame going on. And yet there's a group that forms around a single cause to defeat and destroy the ring. And what you see as the movies go on is that this fellowship, there's this bond that goes beyond like everything that they've been taught by their culture different barriers across the racial divides are breached and there's this fellowship that's formed around a cause and one of the most beautiful things of those whole movies is the way that these guys develop a friendship a fellowship a bond because of their partnership because they had a cause that they focused on they had a common unity that developed this Incredible community. And that is what Paul is describing in this letter. That we have a call. We have a cause. We have a gospel to proclaim. Jesus is the one that unifies us. And so let's focus on that. Let's partner together for that. And as we do that, there will be this bond. There will be this community that forms that will just be so incredible. It will be so special to have this kind of love that is not bound you know, by anything. Paul has this affection that crosses distance, that crosses these difficult circumstances he's in. He has this love because they've laboured together. They've been fighting in the trenches for the gospel. And there's this bond that holds them together. And I pray that it would be the same for us today that we can grow in our partnership for the gospel, that we can focus on what is truly important. And in that, that we would then grow together for the glory of God. And so Paul wraps up this really extended greeting with a prayer. And it's a prayer that I just want to break down quickly and then I want to pray for us. He says in verse 9, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. You know, I pray that for us, that that our love would abound, even in these tough times, even though we are under restrictions, we know that this love is not grown by social activities or by the weekly small talk. It is grown by this common unity on Jesus, on this cause of the gospel, on this grace that we share. And so let us focus on that together. And may our love abound more and more. With all knowledge and discernment, so that we may approve what is excellent. May we have the knowledge and the discernment to know what is truly excellent. And that is so much easier when you know what is truly excellent, when you know that there is a focus, there is a goal, there is something that we are straining towards, as Paul says later. Our priorities are reorientated around our common unity around the grace and the gospel of Jesus. So will we have that knowledge and discernment to know what is eternally excellent? And Paul says as he prays that these things are for a grand purpose so that we would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. As we heard last week, there's there's a resurrection at the end. There is a judgment at the end. May we be with Jesus on that day pure and blameless not because we've been perfect but because we have partnered with christ in the gospel and in his grace that we'd be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through jesus christ may we know that we're only made right with jesus we are only filled with fruit with jesus we cannot do this by ourselves this is not something we achieve in our good works or by doing the right things this is something that comes from knowing and abiding in jesus so may we stick to him and may all this as paul says be for the glory and praise of god this isn't about us this isn't about paul you know like i said the philippian church doesn't really get a mention at all for the rest of scripture This is about God's glory and his name being lifted up. And as Paul writes in the next chapter, he says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. You know, if the focus is on ourselves, we're going to get discouraged, we're going to get disappointed, we're going to fall flat because our name's not the one that lasts forever. His name alone is the one that is glorified. And so that is the one that we focus on together. So let me pray these words for us as we wrap up. God, may our love abound more and more, with knowledge and all discernment, so that we may approve what is excellent, so that we may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. May we be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, and may it be for your glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.